Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Greetings to all of you. I want to welcome all those watching from different venues here at Central Campus, as well as those tuning in online. You know, I looked at this uh, cartoon image on the internet the other day, a husband and wife standing before a judge on a, in a divorce court, and the judge looks at the wife and says, uh, what, you hit the remote during the Super Bowl? <laughs> you know, as someone who wasn't brought up with American football, I have a hard time understanding all the rules with uh, downs, touchdowns, quarterbacks, halfbacks, fullbacks, defensive backs, sore backs. <laughs> well, you have sore backs after the game. Anyway, it is too complicated. That's why I'll stick with cricket. <laughs> Believe me, it's the best sport in the entire world. <laughs> Success and failures in life boil down to decisions. A research study done recently points out that an average person makes about 70 decisions every day. So that's about 25,000 decisions in a year. And over an 80-year lifespan, that's over 2 million decisions. Isn't that staggering? Well, granted, most of these decisions are relatively small and trivial, but collectively, our decisions guide the direction of our life. The 20th century philosopher Albert Camus put it very well when he said, life is a sum of all your choices. All of us encounter a fork in the road. Those crucial moments in life when we are confronted with major life-altering decisions. Choosing a college major. Determining your vocation or career. The move to a new country or a new city. The decision to get married and the decision to raise children. The courage to start a new venture that you had always dreamed about. And most importantly, the spiritual decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ and give Him full control of your life. Where we stand in life today is precisely because of those choices. In this new sermon series I'm starting, I want to show you the decisions of people that made a difference. You see this in the Bible, when stories of two people are presented side by side. It is done intentionally so we can compare and contrast these characters. And you will see distinctly the consequences of the decisions of each of the individuals. So every time I preach over the next few months, I'll continue on the theme of decision-making. 
and bring you comparisons between Bible characters and the difference their decisions made. Today, we're going to focus on two individuals whose lives represent two paradigms in decision-making. One of them represents the way of God, and the other represents the way of the world. We're going to take a closer look from the book of Genesis, the decisions of Abraham and Lot. I'm going to ask all of us to stand as we read from Genesis chapter 13. So Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from, the, from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There, Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great and they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abraham's herders and lots. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at the time. So Abraham said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abraham lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abraham after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are, to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see, I will give it to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abraham went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. Father, there are many voices all around us. But we have gathered in this place to listen to your voice. We pray even right now that you will tune our hearts in line with yours. That we will listen to your still small voice. We thank you for the examples of men and women in the scripture who have gone ahead of us. And we can learn many lessons from their lives. So God, we pray that uh, these words that we read will come alive that we will be able to relate with the lives of Abraham and Lot, their decisions. God, that you will give us a very special message today. And you will lead us and guide us that uh, our decisions will be honoring to you. So we come at this time, uh, speak to us in the power of your spirit. For we ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
You may be seated. Now, I often take my kids to the pet store. We figured that is a lot easier than buying them a pet. So they love to stroke the bunny rabbits and play with the cats. Now, sometimes I try to impress my kids by putting my finger inside the bird cage and let the bird peck at my finger. My kids think I'm very brave. It makes me feel good. So on that fateful day, I saw that the pet store had some ferrets. They looked small and cute. They couldn't do any harm, could they? So I put my finger inside the ferret's cage, and the ferret gently nibbled at my finger. So I called my kids and I said, hey, come here. See, the ferret just kissed my finger. And my kids always do this. They said, do it again, do it again. So once again, I put my finger inside the cage, and this time the ferret became aggressive. And it nipped at my finger really hard. I pulled out my finger in haste. I tell you, it wasn't a playful bite. It was intended at causing damage. And I could see just blood dripping off my finger. My kids were horrified. I was embarrassed. <laughs> and then I saw this huge warning sign on the ferret cage. Fiesty ferrets, don't touch, ask staff for assistance. And I said to myself, how did I miss that sign? In life, we ignore warning signs to our own peril. Genesis chapter 13 gives us a warning sign on decision-making in life. And this is the warning. While we are free to make choices in life, we are not free from the consequences. Abraham and Lot serve as case studies. In the remaining time, I want to show you the consequences of Abraham's and Lot's decisions and the road it took them. Let me give you the context of the passage we read. Remember when God called Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, God did not give very many details. All God said was, leave your country, your people, your father's land to the land I'm going to show you. God did not give the address of where they were going so Abraham could key it in his GPS, the destination. So this had to be a walk of faith. No, you have to understand the force of this demand when you look at uh, the land of Ur where Abraham lived. It was a highly sophisticated city. The modern equivalent of Ur would be a New York or a Paris so Abraham had to make a decision to leave a sophisticated society to an unknown land that God was going to take him. Abraham took his wife, Sarah, and his nephew, Lot, as they journeyed towards this unknown destination. And when they finally arrived in Canaan, God promises to give this land to Abraham and his descendants. Sometime after they arrived in Canaan, there was a famine in the land that was intended to test Abraham's faith. And Abraham made a bad decision. Rather than trusting in God to provide in the midst of the famine, Abraham took a shortcut. He left Canaan and went into Egypt. Now that decision ended up in a fiasco as Abraham had to lie in order to save his skin. He presented his wife as his sister 
And God saved Abraham from much embarrassment. We come now to Genesis chapter 13, where Abraham is once again back in the promised land. The Egyptian experience had taught him a number of lessons in faith. Abraham now builds an altar signifying his commitment and worship to the God who had called him. Now at this time, Abraham is again faced with a fork in the road. Abraham and his nephew Lot had stayed together for a number of years ever since Lot's dad passed away. Both Abraham and Lot accumulated a lot of wealth, especially through their time in Egypt. So they had flocks, herds, tents, servants, and gold. The land where they lived was a rocky land, and pasture was at a premium. So they did not have sufficient grass and water to take care of all of the flocks. As a result, there was constant bickering between Abraham and Lot's herdsmen. Separation just looked inevitable, and both Abraham and Lot stood at a crossroad. And that's where we find here the verses in Genesis 13, 8 and 9. So Abraham said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. You know, Abraham could have easily said to Lot, excuse me. God gave me the promise, so all of this land belongs to me. If you can't live by my rules, pack your bags and find somewhere else to live. But instead, Abraham was very generous and makes this magnanimous offer to Lot. You know, from a world's point of view, this seemed like a ludicrous decision. Why would anyone want to give up on their rights? But it was clearly an expression of Abraham's growing faith in God that he could look at Lot and say, Lot, I give you the first choice. Pick whichever part of the land you want. Just make a selection and I will just go the opposite way. Now, a little boy went to the local store with his mother. The shop owner loved kids, and so he passed on a large jar of suckers, and he said to the boy, hey, little guy, you can help yourself to a handful. The boy held back and uh, remained quiet. So the shopkeeper pulled out a handful of suckers and gave it to the boy. Now, on their way outside, the boy's mother was curious and asked, well, you're not usually so shy. Why didn't you go for it yourself rather than waiting for the shopkeeper to give it to you? The boy replied, because his hand is much bigger than mine. <laughs> you know, that's well illustrated here in Genesis 13. Abraham did not usurp, for he knew God's hands were much bigger. He waited for God to bless him, and God blessed him more than he can imagine. In contrast, Lot was a grabber. Lot's rightful response should have been, Uncle, you are a gracious man. You were there for me when my dad passed away. You've been my father figure. 
You took me along with you, and it is because of you I am rich today. I can't take the best share of the land. You take, you take what you want, and I will be happy with the leftover. That's not how Lot responded. Motivated by greed, without any hesitation, Lot took the best fertile part of the land available. Look at verses 10 and 11. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Lot showed no interest in God's promises. No faith in God's provision. His motto was, the only way anything will happen in my life is if I make it happen. And that's the motto of many people in our world today. Lot looked around the land and all he saw was this lush green land with abundant water supply and he couldn't take his eyes off that part of the land. It brought back memories of his time in Egypt. While Lot saw this as a glamorous opportunity with the promise of material gain, there's something he clearly overlooked. Our verse makes a parenthetical reference to it. Look at verse 10. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. And in parenthesis, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, that's something Lot couldn't see from his limited perspective. The future destruction of the very city he was going to immigrate to. And that's because Lot operated from a two-dimensional perspective in his decision-making and conveniently left the vertical element out. He never consulted with God on his decision. You know, whenever in life you leave God outside of the decision-making process, you are headed for a disaster. Now, while you read in Genesis about Abraham building altars, there's not a single instance of Lot building an altar. Someone said, a man who is weak in his devotions and worldly in his desires will inevitably be wrong in his decisions. Our text confirms this when it says, Lot chose for himself. It was a self-centered, self-seeking choice. Lot's mind started doing the math. He calculated how his herds and livestock would benefit from the pasture. He mentally counted the money he would make by selling to the nearby cities. He saw the dollar signs and went for it without considering the impact of this decision on his family. You know how many times people make decisions in life purely on monetary terms without considering the repercussions on the family. They see the dollar sign and they go for it. I tell you it's not worth it as you will see from Lot's story. Motivated by greed, 
Lot made the biggest mistake of his life. A decision he will live to regret the rest of his life. One compromise would lead to a series of compromises resulting in a downward spiral. Let me show you the consequences of Lot's decision. Lot pitched his tent near to the wicked city of Sodom. The very next chapter, Genesis chapter 14, we find that Lot and his family had comfortably settled in Sodom. Sodom and Gomorrah were such sinful cities that God couldn't take their sins any longer. It was time for their destruction. God sends his angels to Sodom to bring destruction and rescue Lot and his family. Now look at the first part of Genesis chapter 19 verse 1. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. What you see here is yet another step in that downward spiral. What's Lot doing in Sodom? He was sitting by the gateway of the city. And in ancient times, it's the leaders of the city who sat at the gateway. So that implies that Lot was not just living in Sodom. He had become one of the leaders in Sodom. He was part of the board of governors of the city. And as Lot entertains these angelic visitors in his home, you see the shocking depravity of the city in full display. Genesis 19, 4 and 5 tells us, Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot was fully reaping the consequences of leaving God out of his life. In utter desperation, Lot tried to protect his guests and was even willing to offer his two virgin daughters to this mob of perverts. Now talk about a warped value system. Living in a godless society, Lot had lost his ability to reason. And I tell you, that's what concerns me about the world we live in today. When you leave God out of your life, the markers of a godless society is the death of the mind and our ability to reason. And we see several signs of that today in our world. The angelic visitors strike the men of Sodom with blindness. And they urge Lot to appeal to his family to flee the city because the city was going to be destroyed by fire. And you see the height of irony here as Lot passes this urgent message to his family members. Look at Genesis 19 verse 14. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who had pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. You know, we as Christians live a double standard life. 
If we participate in the lifestyle of the world, if we compromise on our convictions, and then we go out and share the gospel with others, it'll seem like a joke to those who are around you. Your words will have no credibility. Lot's would-be sons-in-law did not take him seriously. Lot's wife, the one whom he shared his life with to raise two grown-up daughters, was so obsessed with the lifestyle of Sodom that she did not want to leave. And even when flaming sulfur was destroying the city, because of her obsession with the city, she herself became a victim. And just in case you think that Lot had hit rock bottom, the chapter finishes off with a, a tragic story of incest. Lot's daughters get their dad drunk and sleep with him. Each of them give birth to a son through this incestual relationship. And the end result of that is the birth of two greatest enemies of Israel, the Moabites and the Ammonites. Remember the warning. You're free to make choices in life, but you're not free from the consequences. And Lot learned it the hard way. And in all of this, do you know something? Lot is presented as a believer. How do we know that? The New Testament makes reference to Lot's life in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Lot all along was a believer, supposedly a righteous man, who was torn apart by his worldly desires and a guilty conscience. He was tormented on the inside. He endured deep spiritual anguish. But in the midst of all of that, he never reversed or undo his wrong choices. He continued in that direction of disaster. You know, as a Christian, when you compromise and live according to the world, you will never be at peace. That torment in your soul will continue. Your spiritual anguish will prolong until you quit that double standard living and give full control of your life to Jesus Christ. Lord, reap the consequences. I want us to go back to Abraham and see the consequences of his decision. Right after Abraham gave away the best part of the land, God reaffirmed his promise to Abraham. This is divine compensation. Look at verses 14 to 17 in Genesis chapter 13. The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are, to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see, I will give it to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. 
Lot looked around and he saw the lush green land. It is the same phrase being used here. But the difference is God says to Abraham, look around from where you are. Lot took his own initiative to look while Abraham waited for the Lord's blessings. And that made all the difference. Think about this. Abraham gave away prime real estate. And God now says to Abraham, all the land, east, west, north, south, including the part that Lot took, will be Abraham's and his descendants forever. Abraham had to make a tough decision to leave his family in Ur. But God now says to Abraham, his descendants will be so many that they cannot be counted. You can never outgive God. When we honor the Lord and when we walk with him in his ways, he blesses us more than we can imagine. Jesus says this so clearly in Matthew 6:33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You know, when you give the control of your life to Jesus, your decisions in life are no longer centered on yourself. They're centered on Christ, His agenda, and His kingdom. And that is the key to unlocking all of the blessings of God. Both Abraham and Lot represent people today. Our culture today tells us to be like Lot. Seize and grab everything you can that comes your way before someone else takes it away from you. The Bible calls us to be like Abraham. Hold everything with an open hand for you're secure in the promises of God. Abraham knew by faith the land was his for God had promised it to him. You know, according to the ancient custom, you walk around the perimeter of the land to symbolically signify the land, the property now belongs to you. The Lord is now telling Abraham, walk around the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. The powerful Canaanite nations still occupied the land. Sarah was still barren, and there were no signs of even a single child, leave alone descendants like the stars in the sky. But Abraham based his confidence on the promise of God. And he walks across the length and breadth of the land and claims it as his own. Here's a lesson for us. If God has given you a promise, it has your name written on it. No one can take it away from you. No power in this world can shut a door that God has opened in your life. And no force can steal the destiny and the inheritance God has in mind for you. You know, comprehending this truth is the secret to making good decisions. For you will realize you don't have to grab like Lot. You don't have to make things happen your way. 
You don't have to scheme or maneuver or manipulate, but you can confidently wait on God's timing and for God's plan to unfold in your life. You know, when you have this unshakable confidence in God's plan for your life and His timing, this is how it will look like in real life. When you're single and you find this beautiful girl or this handsome guy you like, your attitude is not, I need to grab this person before someone else does. But you can be confident that if this is the person God has for you, then an invisible reserved sign has already been put on that person. When you're eyeing that dream job, you don't have to lie on your resume in order to somehow get the job. But you can trust in God's purposes that if this is in line with His will, He will make it happen even if it looks impossible. And when you stand at a fork in the road, you are not confused by the many voices that you hear. But you have this incredible confidence that the steps of a righteous person are ordered by the Lord. You are not going to miss out on anything God has for you as you honor Him in your day-to-day life. Striving in your own strength and making everything work is the way of the world. But God calls us to wait on Him and His timing for His promises to be fulfilled. And don't mistake me here. I'm not saying we should always be passive or inactive. That's not what I'm advocating. But I am talking about living out of a deep spiritual confidence that your heavenly Father has the best in mind for your life. You know, that deep-rooted security is God's gift for every one of His children. For the Bible says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor the human mind conceived the things God has for those who love Him. Lot and Abraham present two paradigms in decision-making, and they are opposites. The question I have for you is, in your decision-making, who do you resemble? Abraham or Lot? You know, when all is said and done, the Abrahams of the world have no regrets. Abraham did not have to lose sleep over giving away prime real estate. He chose to honor God, and God blessed him according to his riches and glory. And Abraham would become the patriarch, the father of the faith, through whom all the nations of the world will be blessed. But the lots of the world... Uh, best described by this song by Frank Sinatra called My Way. In what is almost like an autobiography, Frank Sinatra emphasizes how all through life he did things his way. The first answer of the song goes like this. And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. 
I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. But more, much more than this, I did it my way. That's the song of the lots of the world. And it's the saddest song of all. For it represents the majority of the world we live in who go through life their way, make decisions their way, have everything their way. And these words get inscribed on their tombstone. I did it my way and it was wrong. But the Abrahams of the world have a different song. It's not I did it my way. I did it God's way and that made all the difference. You know, throughout this message, I've given you a warning. A warning that bad decisions come with huge consequences. But the Lord wanted me to finish on an encouraging note. You know, one of Lot's daughters, through this relationship of incest, became pregnant and gave birth to a son whom she named Moab. And out of Moab came an entire nation, the Moabites. They were a wicked nation. They were constant enemies of the people of God. It's a tragic situation. But centuries later, a Moabite woman named Ruth will meet an Israelite man named Boaz. God brings these two together in marriage. And this couple will be drafted into the chosen lineage that will bring our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world. You know, when you hit the lowest of lows, God doesn't give up on you. When we turn to the Lord in repentance, when we fully surrender to Him, He takes our dirt, the messes that we have made, the yuck and the consequences of our bad choices and brings beauty out of the ashes. That is the power of the gospel of Christ which gives every one of us hope. Only Jesus can do that. I'm going to ask you to stand as we come to an end. I want you to close your eyes even right now. And in the quietness of this moment, I want you to reflect on what you've heard today. Look at your decision making. Who do you resemble? And if God is speaking to some of you, He's showing it to you that you've been doing it your way all along. Friend, This is a time to reverse that. This is a time for you to surrender from your heart and say, God, I'm tired of doing it my way, for I know it doesn't work. I want to start doing it your way. Give me a fresh new start. And if that is your cry today, God is in this place. He hears your cries. He sees your heart's intention. And he will undo 
many of those bad choices of the past and he will give you a new life. It's his promise. If God is speaking to you even right now, I want you to just raise your hands if that is you and you say, Lord, I want to do it your way. Just wherever you are, just raise your hand as it's just a visible representation of what you mean from your heart. So just raise your hand so I can pray for you. Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in the gospel. That none of us, Lord, no matter what we have done, when we come to you broken, you never reject us. You always invite us into a deeper relationship. And you are able to bring a deep and powerful transformation in our lives. So I pray for every hand that is raised right now. Father, would you seal their decision, their heart's desire, that you will empower them with your spirit to live a life that will honor you, that all the days of their life from now on, they will live for you and for your glory. And you will do what you alone can do in reversing the consequences of the things of the past and giving them hope for the future. Thank you that you're a faithful God. We love you with all our hearts. And we stand secure in your promises. We're not worried about the future because we know our future is in your hands. Even as we leave this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet, unfailing fellowship of the Holy Spirit may rest and abide with each and every one of us, both now and forevermore. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.